Yeah, I got a buddy like that too. I don't know why he. We're really close. I don't know why he's he isn't more vulnerable uh, because you really can kind of build that relationship by kind of exposing your heart and you know sharing your vulnerabilities and, and you know, the negative things that are going on in your life. Uh, you know, um, but I think as a society, we're, we're getting better at that. I think we're getting better at sharing and, and being open and, you know, and understanding because you really can bond with someone when you kind of open up to them in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's going through similar experiences. You know, nobody's perfect. Everybody's trying their best. And that's, and that's what we're all, Story one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to the Military Veteran Dad, episode 54. Today, it's the last episode of December 2019, which symbolizes an entire year of episodes. This podcast launched on January 1st of 2019, and it has been a wild ride. And I can honestly say, I can't remember the last time I've committed to something for a year to do every single day or every single week and continue to do it, even when you don't want to do it and show up and continue to put it out there. And probably the most humbling part that you think is going to happen and you know it's going to happen, but you're never really ready for when it happens is when people reach back out to you that are listening to the podcast and those guests touch you in a way that really anchor and reconfirm exactly why you do this podcast. And in December, we talk a lot about, or we haven't talked a lot about, but I think about a lot about goals and what I want for this podcast next year and where I want it to go. Did I accomplish the goals that I set out this year? What things do I want it to do next year? So I'm going to create a special episode that I'm going to release on January 1st and I'm going to outline some of the goals and I'm going to outline some of the pivots as well for the podcast and what we're going to add to it coming in 2020. And those goals are everything from my kids, my marriage, my podcast, my business, my life. So it's not just one area. And I want to kind of expand on a lot of those different things and how my perspective is when I go into 2020 and what I want to be able to achieve in that. And I want to go ahead and honor an iTunes review that I just got on December 21st. So it was about the best Christmas present a podcaster could ask for. And it's from a woman and it, she goes by the name Sarah Vett Wife. And she tells it's so inspiring. I introduced my husband, who's an Army veteran, to this podcast after listening to episode 34 with Sarah Roberts. At the time, my husband was struggling with thoughts like, you guys would be better off without me. We listened to this episode 34 together, and we're both extremely touched by Sarah's story. My husband now listens to this podcast on a regular basis. He has been more connected to our life, our kids, and me ever since. The podcast, with a combination of more open communication between us and therapy at the VA, has opened him up to become a better father to our two sons and a better partner to me. Keep up the good work. We love the podcast. Thank you for your service. Sarah, I want to tell you that that, uh, that review really hit me in the heart in a good way because it was probably the most powerful review I've received so far and the most powerful reason to why I continue this strong why that military dads need to come home, that there are military dads suffering out there. And if 
any part of that resonated with you. And if there's any part of, of you with listening to this podcast that gets value from it, I only ask that you share it with another military dad so that we can expand upon what we're doing here and grow this mission and grow the impact because there are dads out there and husbands just like Sarah's husband that need this information, that need these tools, that need this kind of friend in their life so that they can come home. And this is something we dive into a lot on the podcast and sharing it to me would mean the world. And if you haven't left a review and if you've gotten any value, I love reading those reviews on iTunes. They mean the world to me and they help us get the message out there because someone else is going to find this podcast. They're going to see that review and it's going to hit them hard. And they're going to take that first step to coming home and listening to an episode. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Jason Van Camp. He is our guest today, a retired Green Beret, a graduate of West Point, a husband and a father. Jason is passionate about his experience and his stories resonate with any audience, students, athletes, business person that want to be passionate about passion. Jason is married to his wife, Elizabeth. They have a daughter, Claire Jane, and a son named Jack. Jason also enjoys traveling the history of the Roman Empire, the study of religion, supporting D.C. professional sports teams, and helping veterans through his nonprofit organization, Warrior Rising. You're quickly going to learn that Jason has a lot going on, but that's what makes him a really great guy because he has a great depth. And you're going to realize he's experienced a lot of life. And we've talked about how, as a military dad, he can now create a very rich life for his friends, or not for his friends, for his family and his kids, and how that will empower them to go out into the world to start changing it. So without further ado, let's get started with Jason Van Camp. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hey, Ben. How you doing, brother? I'm uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I am super excited for this one because as I was digging into this interview and prepping, you've kind of got a lot of things going on in your life. I have a lot of things going on in my life. That is a true statement. <laughs> and I'm sure your wife would validate that, that you probably have too many things going on in your life. Oh, I don't need her to validate that. I've got too many <laughs> things going on in my life. She knows that. Uh, I know that. Um, and uh, and I'm trying to cut back, you know, but it's it's a... It's a hard sprint to the finish line at the end of the year. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Gotcha. So go ahead and for the listeners out there, go ahead and explain a little bit of all the things you got going on and a little bit about your family, what it looks like right now. Oh, for sure. So uh, just a little background about me. I'm, I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area. Um, you know, I'm a West Point guy. I'm a Mormon guy. I served a two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to St. Petersburg, Russia. When I was at the academy, um, I served in the military for almost 15 years. I was a uh, uh, Green Beret, Ranger, you know, started off as an artillery guy and uh, deployed, you know, three times to the Middle East, uh, did a year tour in Korea, and did some time in Africa, you know, I uh, spent most of my time in the military at Fort Carson in Colorado with 10 Special Forces Group. And uh, during all that time, I was single, you know, and uh, when I was getting ready to get out of the military, I started dating my current wife and, uh, and uh, I was kind of joking earlier about it, but we could have gone anywhere after I left the military and, I, and we compromised, you know, I'm from Washington, D.C., she's from Utah, we compromised, we ended up in Utah, you know, which is something we joke about and uh, I couldn't. Love it more. Utah's a great place, great state, beautiful state, cold state. Um, 
lots of skiing and uh, lots to do. It's a really, it's an unbelievable family state. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, but since my wife and I moved to Utah, we have two kids. I have a two and a half year old daughter named Claire Jane and a, and a five month old son named Jack. And they, they're my the love of my life. I love my family so much and they're a lot of fun. But right now there's a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of crying in the house, you know? Well, how what age did you say your kids were? My daughter's two and a half. My son's five months. I wrote down five. I wrote down the wrong year. <laughs> I needed to, to subtract a few months from that. All good, man. All good. <clears throat> yeah, I can imagine five months. That's like at the stage where they're maybe like two times out of the week, you might get to sleep through and you're like, oh, maybe we've made it. And then it kind of resets and you go back and you're like, nope, we haven't made it yet. You know, my daughter was the worst sleeper ever. And we were first time parents. So we were the worst, you know, parents ever when it came to <laughs> Um, but my son, he was like solid for three months. He was cool. You know, we we're like, man, Jack is so chill. And then he had like a sleep regression. And so now he's waking up three, four times in the night. And my wife and I are trying all sorts of different things. She tried this like rice solution where she kind of puts a, a folded up towel underneath his legs and a bag of rice on his chest. And uh, that's supposed to help him sleep. And, uh, and then the other night we just said, you know, screw it. Let's let him cry. And, uh, we, we timed it. He cried for hysterically for 55 minutes before he went back to sleep. So he's a determined little guy. I can only imagine when he's when he, when he actually has legs to go out into the world and use his determination, what he's going to do. Yeah. I love hearing that. I hope he does well in life. Do you, uh, do you guys do essential oils at all? We do not No. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? Well, I'm from Utah, so I know. I was going to say, from Utah, you have to, because like <laughs> Young Living is like, uh, it's big, huge out there. It's where it's from. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> My wife's always been into the, the essential oils. for the, We have, each have a diffuser in the room for, you. I think the, the sleep one worked early in the days where it just kind of helped them sleep through the night or like lavender. Like that was something we did in the diffusers at night in their room. Oh, interesting. I'll have to take a look at that. Or if, if it's like breathing, maybe if they're getting like stuffed up, then there's one for like breathing. and Or if they're just getting sick a lot, then you use like thieves, which is kind of a disinfectant oil. Huh. All right. I'll have to check it out. Let, just, just let your wife squirrel it, and I'm sure she'll just run with it, but you won't have to do much on your own because once, once you start getting into it, it's entire, it's its own little thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Well, awesome. I got a question for you. As you were rattling off all of that, it sounds like West Point was kind of like your first uh, big adventure. Is that safe to say? I guess so. It was really the first time I was away from home, you know, and uh, learning to be, uh, learning to grow, learning to find comfort and discomfort, you know, being away from my, my family. I would say for sure, yeah. Why are you asking? So, so take us back to that Jason. What was he hungry for that West Point was the only place he could get it? Mm, I'm not sure if West Point was the only place I could get it, but I was... Or what, what made you think that this was where I needed to go? You know, um, I wanted to play football. I was really good in high school and I loved it. I was passionate about it. And uh, I just wasn't quite big enough, you know, to, uh, play major 
you know, college football, I, I was fast enough and I was strong enough, but I just wasn't quite tall enough. And, you know, I was smaller, you know, so, um, Westport recruited me really hard. My parents were very excited uh, with at the idea of me going to West Point. And uh, one thing led to another, and the recruiter at West Point was was very aggressive, and um, I decided to go. I didn't know what I was getting myself into by any stretch of the imagination. And once I got there, I realized it wasn't for me. I'm like, after 10 days, I was like, yeah, this this isn't a place – I read the wrong paper. <laughs> you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be here. But I, I also knew I wasn't a quitter, and I wasn't gonna gonna go down that route. So I just I just stuck it out for four years. It was kind of like being in a in a bad marriage, I suppose. Like you know, it's not good for you, it's not good for them, but you just stick it out. You know. So it never got better for you. It got worse every single day. Each day was worse than the last. <laughs> I hated every second of it, um, and uh, and when I got out, life has been amazing because, you know, like it was just such a hard experience for me, uh, a negative experience for me that, you know, every other day is, is good. You know, it's crazy because there are times in combat or times at ranger school or special forces qualification course where I, I would just kind of remind myself if I was having a bad day, Hey, at least you're not at West Point and I'd, I'd cheer up. You know? So West Point was worse than ranger school? I'd rather go to entire Ranger School again than, than go back to West Point. Wow. That's a, so I got to ask, looking back, because that was almost over 15 years ago right now, right? Yeah. What, um, how do you, have you taken that lesson of four years of purgatory? How has that affected your, how you execute on your life now? You can um, always just compare it back to that misery, like everything is better than that day, or... Is there like some bigger lesson that you've taken away as you look back now? It made me tougher. It, it really did. You know, and maybe that's something I needed. Um, it made me realize that I could overcome and accomplish anything, you know, and, and that's, and that's a great, I would say you were extremely ambitious on the other side of that failure. Like it was almost like it ignited a fire under your ass that you just kept running away from that West point almost and towards other adventures, but they were all equally, um, leveling yourself up you know i've never heard it described that way before but i think that's a great way to describe it like i've, I've sprinted away from that dumpster fire as quickly as i could and, and towards other adventures and other ambitions I, I definitely i definitely like the way that you articulated that do you find that even now with your current business is kind of like you're still running from that like that's part of your what you're chasing or you're trying to chase success because you're still making up for that four years that you were there or have you kind of like let go of that running to slow down and walk a little bit more now? I wouldn't say I'm, I'm trying to make up for it. I'm just trying to distance myself from that. Like, listen, like I, it was almost like being in prison and then your the gates are released. Shawshank Redemption. You felt like you're in prison. You weren't supposed to be there. Don't put me back there. Like, let me, <laughs> but it's you know, people say it's a great place to be from. It's not a great place to be at. You know, I've heard that said many times about West Point and um, you know, after leaving, you've got a phenomenal network of, of phenomenal people. And most of the people there, you know, that were you associate with, most of them were phenomenal, phenomenal people. Some of the most intelligent, hardworking, service-minded heroes that you'll ever find, you know. But there's others there that kind of, you know, obviously 
make it a bad place for, for yeah i've already even said as like uh navy seals will describe i've met the best leaders in the navy seals and i've met the worst leaders i've ever met in the navy seals yes exactly like definitely something like that like, and i think that's a theme with the military that i remember that you're not promoted on performance you're pro- pr- pr- promoted based on numbers and stats and whether you're a good leader or a bad leader you can go above you can rise in the chain and then ultimately you get power that you ultimately don't deserve yeah, sometimes getting promoted in the military, in my experience, is who wanted it the most. It wasn't necessarily, are you the best leader or you have the best stats, but it was like, you know, who wanted to be promoted the most, you know? And, and for a lot of guys, including myself, you know, I just wanted to do a good job. And uh, I wanted to be put in positions where I could kind of prove myself and, and I could collect stories, you know, epic experiences and mm-hmm. that's what drove me not you know did i get you know below the zone you know promotion or anything like that like that was kind of out of my hands you know and i learned from a young age don't put your happiness in somebody else's hands you know control what you can control don't outsource your hope or your happiness i couldn't control the, whether or not i get promoted or not it was somebody else's decision so i just didn't worry about it and um i got promoted you know, same rate as, as my peers. And I got some of the highly, you know, like the better jobs that you'd like in the military. I got a few of those and I have no complaints. You know, my military career basically ended because of a medical retirement. Um, and I think I probably would have stayed all 20 years had I not been medically retired. Um, but it all worked out for the best. You know, as soon as I retired, I, settled down with my wife and we moved out here to Utah and, and things have never been better. I couldn't be happier. The one thing that as I was uh, trying to write down all your resume things as quickly as possible so I could remember them as we were talking uh, is that you have an extreme depth to the world that probably less than 0.01% of the world actually has. Like the amount of experiences, the the worldview you've acquired by, from all those different things, the failures, the hardships of building it all off of West Point, like you have a worldview on that depth. And I can't help but wonder that when your kids are older, that that'll be a major gift that you'll be able to give them that you'll be able to turn around. And I always like to describe kind of our military experience kind of like as a thousand piece snap on toolbox. It's filled with wrenches. You never actually know what they're for until that moment comes. And you're like, Oh, that's what that little doohickey does. It's like working on a car where there's that one wrench for that one bolt that you never know about until you're like, damn, why is there a special wrench for this? And I think that's kind of like what your resume is. Like you've got a major resume of lessons of even like, I'm not sure if maybe you've articulated it yet because your kid's a little bit young, but when your kids are older and they're figuring out what they want to do, I can only imagine how the going through four years of West Point will shape how you make sure they understand how to enter the world as well. Like that's something that not every dad, very few dads, not even myself, could gift our kids with that type of wisdom. Yeah, I like how you said that. You know, I, I feel like, um, I don't know if I'm the most intelligent guy around or the most articulate guy around, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I feel like I'm pretty wise. You know, I feel like I've learned a lot in my, in my uh, 42 years on this planet. And um, I've done, worn a lot of different hats and um, – done a lot of different things and really why i've done those things is because 
I want to help people. You know, I'm I'm selfish about being selfless. You know, I want to provide value, provide some service to to people so that they can be better and, and, um, and do better things in, in their lives. And that's kind of what I've always been about. And for my kids, you know, I want them to be happy. I want them to make their own choices. I don't want to force feed anything down their throats. And, you know, I, I think I'm starting out that on that, on that path with them right now, at least with Claire, and I'm starting to see it. And I, and I really love how she's kind of growing and, and we're shaping her into, you know, a young girl. I'm really, really happy to see how she's developing. And there is an aspect of military fatherhood that I think that also makes us even more potential to raise great kids because we have that sense of adventure. And I would say you definitely has a resume of a sense of adventure that you're going to be able to expose them to a world that's completely outside the eight, uh, the K through 12 system. And it's only when we really get outside of our lives as kids, can we really see how we fit into it? And if you even gift your, your daughter, half of the, the experiences of maybe international travel or traveling around the country and just seeing that there is not just one plan for you and how to live your life. Like, I feel like that's the best gift a military dad can give their kids because we lived a life that less than 1% of the U S population actually has a chance to experience. I love hearing you say that, you know, I couldn't agree with you more for my daughter. Also, I wanted her to be strong and independent and, and stand up for herself. And I see a lot of girls that just don't stand up for themselves. And I wanted my, my daughter to be able to do that. And so I've been kind of teaching her some things and, and I'm seeing it really pay off. And she's sticking up for herself with other kids and other things. And, and it's kind of funny because I think I might have gone overboard. <laughs> well, wait till her brother starts trying to push back. Then we'll, that'll be the test. It's crazy. My oldest daughter's always beaten up on, my, on her mill son. Is that right? <laughs> she loves her baby brother, but uh, she's not jealous or anything like that, or angry or resentful. But she's she's uh, she loves him to death, you know. So she grabs him and holds him and hugs him real hard and almost strangles him, and that's that's a concern where we have to stop her and teach yeah. her. Wait till know. so mine's seven and my son's five. Wait till they start impeding on each other's social life. Because they ride the bus together. They're, my son's in kindergarten now, so my daughter's had school to herself. Now she doesn't. And she's got to deal with her emotional brother that gets sad when she doesn't give her a hug in the morning. And she doesn't want anything to do with it. And she doesn't understand. She doesn't care. She just thinks he's dumb. And it's, it's an entirely new world that you haven't even touched yet. But it's coming. What a crack up. <laughs> and then you have my youngest daughter. So my son's in the middle of two girls. And my youngest daughter is just the exact opposite. She's just a spitfire and she's, the world is never going to tell her exactly what to do because she will always turn around and tell the world what you're going to do because she just has a determination and fierceness to what she does of he's going to be crazy. Sounds like you got some great kids, bro. Yeah. And there were one thing that was when you were talking about your, your daughter, there's been an idea that I've been um, really it, it kicked in when I was watching the Netflix movie Christmas Chronicles. At the end of the movie, there's the kind of a, this, the son saves Christmas because his dad died in a fire as a firefighter and he has to believe in himself to save Christmas. And then I was thinking like, wasn't well, that like the best gift you can give your kids at Christmas is the belief in themselves? Like think of how many people rely on their Instagram followers to know whether they're loved or whether they're appreciated or what they can do with their life or 
they just stay in neutral because they don't feel like they have permission. But like, imagine like, and this is why I love being military dad and helping other dads ignite their passion for it because we have the ability to create enough confidence that our kids can recognize they have everything inside already to do whatever it is they want. They just have to believe it's there. Well said. Well said. And that's what drill instructors are doing. They're, they're stripping you down and reprogramming you, but into a belief that you have everything you do to put on that uniform and be a badass. Like it's not something extra. They just figure out how to pull it out from you. That's right. That's right. You got it, man. And even like, um, if you think about like the, the soldiers or Marines or anybody that often are the outliers, like one of my favorite things to do as a, a leader was to take those Marines that other people had given up on and find something inside that they had and like that they could believe in themselves. That they could do more than what they, their default programming was. And I think that's the coolest part. And as your daughter starts to kind of figure out who she is, like there's so much that can come from a daughter who goes out in the world that truly believes she can change it because then the funny thing happens is they usually do. You're preaching, preaching the truth, bro. Keep going. <laughs> so I got a question, another question for you. Sure. What What is your coming home look like right now? So I imagine your life's a little bit crazy. What kind of routine do you have to come home and be present with your kids? Or what does that look like right now? Especially knowing that your kids are younger and they're, it's a little bit like living in an instapot. You know, um, when I, I work at home right now and when I don't work at home and when I used to kind of go to an office, I always made a point of checking my baggage at the door. You know, I have a plaque by the door that says CYB, check your baggage. So I never wanted to or, or even, you know, tried to bring home outside frustrations from work or from whatever into the home. You know, didn't want to vent to my wife because it seemed like a lot of times when I was venting to my wife, she was taking it personally. She felt that I was yelling at her. And I wasn't. I was just trying to get things off my chest. It had nothing to do with her. It had to do with some jerk at work or some jerk that, you know, was honked at me while I was driving or whatever on the way home. And so I always was mindful about leaving all of that at the door, taking a deep breath, like checking it and then walking inside a, a new man focused on my wife and my, and my kids and making sure that they're getting my attention. Uh, I work from home now. And so checking that baggage is, is hard because it's the house. You know, yep. so they hear me on the phone, they hear me putting out fires, they hear me doing things like that. And, um, and a lot of times, you know, like my, my wife needs help, you know, with the kids, you know, and, and just, since she knows I'm in my office, it's an easy thing for her to ask for help. Yep. And, um, you know, it, it's tough because it's kind of like, you know, maybe I've, I've got, you know, two jobs and we're, you know, rely on these jobs to make money and I've got to work. I've got to do these things. And I, I'd love to help you with the kids right now. And, and honestly, 99% of the time I help with, the, I, I just go get the kids because uh, I'd rather just take a break from work and spend time with my family. So that's a, it's a tough deal, man. It's a tough skill to master for sure. I always struggle. I, I feel like on the working home, but my usually is this because my wife's a kindergarten teacher. So the house is usually empty, but when I'm home, I struggle with, well, I could, I'm, I'm working on my computer, but then I'm like, well, there's laundry to switch upstairs. There's dishes I need to switch. And then like a whole day goes by and the house looks exactly the same as when I walked into the office. And then when my wife comes home, it's like, man, I really had chances to make something better, but I was focusing at work. But then 
it, it's a, it's not an easy, the struggle is real when it comes to that stuff, especially when you, when you have family and when you have that balance that you're trying to create on top of work and. Yeah. And your kids come into the office while you're on a call. And they don't understand. They're banging. They want to play and making noise, you know, like there's, there's a lot of struggle that goes along with that. I mean, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard decision. It's not all easy. Sometimes I think, you know, maybe it would be better if I had an office that I went to and I just did work there because I could really focus on work. You know, I wouldn't have any of the distractions. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's always nice to go up and take a break and play with the kids or get a snack or, you know, decompress. You don't have to drive around, you know. So. So you mentioned like that you used to bring home and uh, vent a lot. So what was that process like to like, what was the trigger point to realize that this isn't the way that it's supposed to be? Um, you know, it was, a, it was an atmosphere, a feeling of really, you know, negativity of, of evil, I would say, you know, just contention, adversity, just a feeling that you just don't want to have in your home. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times when everybody's happy and, and it's just like a really good feeling in, in the house, you know, and, and you feel really um, proud and, and, and it's, just, it's just good, you know, it's just pure. And then, you know, when I would come home and vent or talk or whatever, just kind of get things off my chest, I, you could sense that atmosphere changing, you know, and, and then you can sense your wife's attitude changing. You know, she no longer was happy. She was, she was angry. She was feeling angry like you were feeling angry. And then she starts thinking that you're yelling at her and you're really not yelling at her. And all of a sudden you start yelling at her and she's yelling at you back. And then it's just kind of like, what, what just happened here? Like, why am I fighting? There's not, nothing to be angry about with her. Yep. You know? and, um, and then you just kind of realize like, listen, like, this, is, this is detrimental. This is not helping out anyone or anything. So, um, I decided just to leave it at the door, man, before I even walked in the home. So, and then I can imagine that if things have been improving since then. Oh, I wouldn't say it was like one incident or anything. I'm just saying like in general, like you're, you're human, you're, you're normal. You want to bend yep. and even that from time to time. But I just make a concerted effort not to, not to vent in the home you know, with my wife. You know, if I have to vent, I'll maybe call a friend or you know, um, just kind of vent to myself somewhere, you know, if it's possible or, or whatever. But, uh, but I, I, I try really hard not to, not to bring that into the home anymore. How is the, have you, now that you live in Utah, how has your tribe been? Have you been able to build, build the tribe of people out there yeah. outside of your family? Yeah. Well, um, it was kind of funny. My wife and I went to dinner with her friends uh, a few weeks ago. And one of the guys, there's some, some guy sitting there with his, with his wife and I don't know him. And he said, Jason, what do you like to do? You know? And I was like, well, you know, I started talking to him and I thought to myself, you know what? Like I haven't gone out with my buddies probably in four years, you know, like (laughs) I just haven't like gone out and, you know, hung out at a, I watched the game with my buddies at a a club or, or bar or whatever. I haven't, done any of that and it's been family for four years straight focused and uh that's that's in that's a weird thing to to realize coming from 
you know, being an older single to now being a married dad, it's kind of crazy. Were you pretty active on a social life before, like in the army? Oh yeah, man. I was single, meeting girls, dating, you know, like going out, hanging out with friends. Social butterfly. Games. I wouldn't say I'm an extrovert or anything like that. I just you go out, you know, I didn't want to sit in my house and be alone, you know, and like miss life. I wanted to live, live my life and, and get more out of it. So uh, whenever, and you know, you go on deployments and you realize when you're on a deployment, you're going to live life as much as you possibly can when you get back. And, uh, and the, and the short time period that you have before you have to deploy again. And that's what I did to my best. Mm-hmm. So you said you were out with the dinner with that friend and um, you brought up that you hadn't been out to have a, a beer or just have fun with uh, guys for almost four years. I think that's something that military dads probably is our, like our, our first thing that we really suck at when we get out or even while we're active and have family because you get, it, it's so easy to just over-prioritize family that you forget about yourself as well. And especially if you have a career that's demanding and that you're trying to make the career, especially if like you're, you're trying to build the business, you've got energy you got to put into it and that energy comes from somewhere and you want it to be your family's, but then you got to figure it out. But, um, I, for like the, I don't know, probably the first 10 years, I maybe had two people that I could call a friend after getting out. And it probably wasn't until the last two years that I really started to build the network and even have just more Facebook friends that I could consider friends and talk to, even if they're not really here. And, now I've got a few more friends locally, but I mean, the list was very short of people that I had locally that I could call friends and going to have a beer with someone, even if it's once a month is like, you feel like a million bucks when you come back and you almost feel like you can become a better dad because you got away for a little bit. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. That needs to happen more in my life. You know, most of the times I spent with my friends, it's business related. We're doing something uh, along those lines where there's some goal that we have to accomplish, uh, in the meeting or, you know, somebody we have to meet or something like that. We still have a good time, you know, but it's not as relaxing as it possibly could be. I had an army guy in Kentucky. He was always talking like in the army, he's got lots of friends, but none of them feel really safe to talk about family for whatever reason. Like they have to be stoic enough that they don't have family issues at home. So they're not able to admit that they don't have it all together or their kids are screaming or they have a late night. So it's just kind of, it's not energizing conversation because it's almost a conversation with barriers that you can only go in certain places, which kind of gets boring after a while. Yeah. I got a buddy like that too. I don't know why he, we're really close. I don't know why he's, he isn't more vulnerable uh, because you really can kind of build that relationship by kind of exposing your heart and, you know, sharing your vulnerabilities and, and you know, the negative things that are going on in your life. Uh, you know, um, but I think as a society, we're, we're getting better at that. I think we're getting better at sharing and, and being open and, you know, and understanding because you really can bond with someone when you kind of open up to them in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's going through similar experiences. You know, nobody's perfect. Everybody's trying their best. And that's, and that's what we're all. And the crazy part for military dads is we often have this mindset from the military that, vulnerability would be a weakness but actually once you explain say something vulnerable it actually becomes something of strength instead of weakness and people will come towards you versus away from you that's correct yeah i I totally agree with that i've almost like i've kind of joked it a couple times like it's almost like there is a 
a military order in each of the branches of service of how you should handle your emotions because there's unwritten rules that everybody follows, but they're not actually written down, but it's almost followed to a T to the point that you'd almost wonder if they're written down. And I was actually wondering, I was thinking like, imagine if the military maybe did write an order of exactly how you should handle your emotions, because then there could at least be some wording that said, this isn't how it was supposed to be. And you don't have to pretend to be that way anymore because we never meant the system to be designed that way. And I think about the suicide rates and all that stuff with an active duty. Like imagine if they did clearly say that you could cry in a uniform. <laughs> Interesting. I, I kind of, I understand what you're saying. And I think there could be a play there in some capacity, you know, cause you go, um, I've heard that counselors tell you, you know, instead of saying something along the lines of, um, you know, you're a jerk. You say like, I feel like you're a jerk, you know? So instead of calling somebody a name, you kind of bring it back to yourself and tell yeah, them. Yeah, say how it makes you feel. Or, or like you're, you're, the way you're interacting makes me feel like I'm in sixth grade when I was getting bullied or punched in the gut. Right, right. like stuff like that. So there's, there's something to be said about that. Maybe there's a, a play for that in the future. I think it would be helpful. It would be good training. I'm and, sure. and it's funny because like in the Marine Corps, we joked uh, – that there was a Marine Corps order for everything, like everything from your sideburns to your mustache, to your haircut, to your uniform, literally every, your underwear, how to label your underwear. There's a Marine Corps order that says how to label your underwear, but yet there's no Marine Corps order that says how you should feel. They don't own your feelings, brother. Exactly. I feel like it's just like this giant elephant in the room that no one's actually noticed. And someday in the Pentagon, someone's going to notice it and they'll be like, how the f after we get this, elephant out of the pentagon now because someone just told us we're not talking about emotions in the pentagon and maybe we should be and i like what you were talking about there with the the friends and stuff because i often repeat that uh and this is where it's kind of funny because in the when we're serving we know what a tribe feels like but we don't really know what it means to us because i've i've when i've heard the other podcasts talk about this they describe it best like um, for 3,000 years, men survived in tribes and only in the last 200 did we really try to mess it up and try to do it ourselves. But we still have that internal instinct to do life together and hunt together and to learn together, to fail together and to go on those like um, trials to prove yourself that we can actually step into our, our manliness almost. Um, like all of that has gone away, but that's still, we did it for 3,000 years. You're not just going to take that away with the swipe of, a societal type of wanting to change or an industrialization that kind of happened where people stopped trying to, to hunt and gather and go to the factories instead. Like we need a tribe of men in our life to help us do everything. Cause we can't lift everything that life gives us. I agree. And I think about, you know, women as well. I'm, I'm like, how do women do it with, with kids, you know, like they give birth and they have these kids all day. And, and it just honestly, it just doesn't seem natural to have, you know, one woman with these kids, it feels like you need to have a tribe around you where several women are kind of helping out and everybody's helping each other out. And it just feels like it's the same thing. Like that you weren't a mother on your own. Like, you know, it's like, it's crazy the way that it's not like that. I mean, it's almost, it's almost insane to think like what we're going through with, you know, kids waking up in the night and having to work and having to make money and, you know, having having to cook food and entertain and train and teach and, and all these things. It's like, wow. it's all just one big charade that like no one's willing to. And it's weird how like we've never been more connected in this world. We've never had more opportunity, 
but Facebook puts filters on life that says you have to portray your life to be a certain way. And most people don't really realize the Facebook effect. So they live their life to try to keep up to the Joneses or whatever someone else is doing. And all it does is just, just creates this big rat race. But then the most important part is you can't work through your emotions because you'd have to acknowledge something you're probably afraid to admit. And with the, the Fred Rogers movie with Tom Hanks coming up, um, I haven't seen it yet, but I've been diving into a podcast called Finding Fred. And it's kind of just dissects Mr. Rogers over in general and I made him his way way he was. And I, I've just came thinking like the world has never needed Mr. Rogers more to say like you can feel exactly what you need to feel and it's perfectly okay. Like that words are, are missed so many times throughout society today, especially the military, just because we're not trained. We were trained to keep our emotions on lockdown because it kept us alive. But that same advice will almost kill us because we need to be able to feel something in order to come home to our families. Like your kids have raw emotions and screaming and frustration. Like you need to feel what they're feeling in order to help them move through it. If you, I, and I think because if, if you put a barrier of your emotion between you and your kids, then you're actually never able to help them. You kind of almost just move further back because it scares you what they're going through. Maybe loud and clear. Um, maybe an, another question rolling into, so you've got two kids. They're really young right now. Yeah. Have you ever dove into the idea of, of legacy? Dove into the idea of what? Legacy. Legacy. Um, expound upon that. So like just kind of like um, what you want the Van Camp name to remember, be remembered for. Do you, um, what do you often think about when people, if, like if you were thinking of like if you died five days from now and you thought of what people would write in your obituary, what people would say your eulogy, do you think about that type of legacy, what, what people are going to remember you by? Uh, sometimes I think about that only because of my my family, my uh, my parents when I was younger. My mom died when I was young, and she was phenomenal. She was she was the best, uh, absolutely incredible mother. And uh, one thing that she did that I've thought about a lot in my life is, you know, she always made sure that we knew how much she loved us, and that kind of love like made it. Uh, it gave me a lot of confidence, you know, growing up. And uh, and I want my kids to know the same thing. So I tell them I love them all the time. I want to make sure that they understand that, you know, because you, you see sometimes when people are trying to say the last thing that they want to say to their kids, it's usually, I, I love you. You know, but if something happens to you and you're not able to say that, you know, it's kind of catastrophic um, for the survivors. And mm -hmm. I want to make sure that my kids understand, like, you know, if something happens, like, there's no question. Their daddy loved them, you know, like, more than anything. And and that's really important to me. Um, my dad had a, when I was 10 years old, he had a really severe heart attack. And um, basically, the doctor told my mom, um, that he wasn't going to make it through the night and say our last, say goodbye for the last time. He, he did. He survived. Um, my dad's a survivor, but he went in there and, you know, I've often thought like when you know you're going to die, what you think about is what is most important to you in life. 
you know, and, and my dad said, I want you to take care of your brother and your sister. So that's what I meant the most to him is his kids, you know? And I thought to myself, what lesson has my dad taught me that's really resonated with me most of my life. And that's probably no matter how many times you fall down in life and it's going to happen. It's, it's a learning experience and just pick yourself back up. And the faster you can pick yourself back up, the more successful you'll be in life. You know, I think that's, those are some things, some, you know, values that I, and lessons that I want my kids to know. Uh, as far as me personally, values that, that I really admire people, I think I have in myself, uh, loyalty. So I want my kids to be very loyal. Uh, resourcefulness. I don't want them to be problem solvers, you know, figure things out. You know, I think that's a, an unbelievable skill of value to have, you know, um, as they go throughout life. And then the last one is determination. And that kind of goes back to picking yourself back up. You know, if you, if you never quit, you're not going to fail. That's mm -hmm. kind of how I look at things. And, um, and that's what I want my kids to, to be like, if, you know, if it, if it works for them. And what I love about that is it's all focused on your kids. And I think that's, it's probably my biggest thing that I've taken away from the podcast is many military dads stay hung up on their service, but never actually switch to their kids because like your, your, your service is over, especially if you've already transitioned, like there's nothing you can do about it. It's facts in the history books, but your kids are literally something that can change the future in a hundred years out that you don't even really know. And you won't may ever see, but you have the ability to make a dent that is going to rival the one of Steve jobs. And, when you teach your kids all like going back to that depth and teaching them who they are and getting them to understand that they love themselves and that they, you were, they felt love from you. These are all things that make them to be great adults and then allow your name to go out there and to be remembered. And like a veteran's only forgotten when people stop talking about your name. Like if your name doesn't keep getting remembered and that's when you're forgotten. So if your kids really take what you remembered and keep repeating it, like there's, you're going to be someone that's always talked about in the lineage because you started a chain of events that couldn't help but ripple and continue. I love how you said that. That's great stuff. And I, I couldn't agree more. And when you, when you think about all of those things, there was one also that you talked about there that I've thought that a girl just knowing that she feels love from her father, like there's a lot of uh, research that says just hugging your daughter will decrease the chance of the, when she has sex, because she won't be seeking that feeling of love from the first man that gives it to her because she felt it from her father. Like just making sure she has that solid, like that you're the role model she goes out in the world to get. And I've kind of realized that jokingly, like the dads with a shotgun, or I think those are the dads that actually are afraid because their daughter's copying who they are and they're afraid who they're gonna bring home. But if you were the man that you want her to walk through the door, and you really don't need a shotgun because she's going to realize and she's going to go out and copy the person that you modeled in your life and to her. And then there's really nothing to be aware of. But if you are worried, that's when you have the shotgun. And that's usually because you weren't paying attention when she was watching and she's going to bring home all the things that you were scared of. That's funny. That's funny. I never thought about it that way. I, thought I never either. Way. And it was just like maybe like two or three weeks ago, I was like, you know what? The shotgun is actually just a sign that the dad wasn't the best dad and he's afraid what she's going to copy and bring home because she's going to copy him. Nah, that's funny. <laughs> you 
You're never going to be able to think of the dad in the shotgun ever again in the same way. No, I'm going to take a different perspective on it now. And the part when you were talking about your, your dad and on that um, death, but that was powerful because it, it, there's, there's things that kids need to know and they need to feel that well before you have it all that you're on your deathbed, that they need to be fully okay without you. Like they need to be able to like going back to, they need to believe in themselves that they don't need you to go through the world. And if you haven't gifted them that, then they're always going to carry some pain on their heart because they didn't have unfinished business with you. Right. Exactly. And you never want to, you never want to live your life like that. You know, make sure you, your kids know, I mean, even make a video if, if that's easier for you about how you feel if something happens. So you never have to regret or your parent, your kids never have to regret, you know, not fully knowing unfinished or, you know, unfinished business. You never want that, you know. And I've heard some good advice that if you're not part of your kid's life, then like if you're saying you're divorced or maybe you have a complete rift between you and your, your ex or for whatever reason, like open a Gmail account and have an email address and when you have a picture, when you have a thought, when you have a story, maybe it's your side of a story. Maybe it's like you've got two sides in a, in a divorce and she never gets to hear your side. Write it to an email account that you then gift her when she's like 18 or when she's ready to read what's in the account. Because that's always like a great way to, um, to say things that maybe you don't really know how to say them later or you're going to forget. But then you can kind of like maybe your daughter's sleeping and you're looking at her and you want to write her a message about what you thought about when she was sleeping, when she was two or what she dreams of what you dream she could be. Like, I think that's going to be a, a, a powerful thing that for dads that can't connect with their kids, that they can at least gift them who they were or what they were thinking about when they were different ages. Great ideas, brother. Well, Jason, I have absolutely loved this interview. We've gone kind of a, a couple different areas and I've really loved talking about your ambition because that was, uh, it just makes me want to conquer the world almost or make me feel like I'm lazy. I uh, know you can't, man. You go conquer the world, bro. <laughs> so I, the last question I always ask dads is what's one piece of advice you want to leave for military dads out there? You're doing a great job. I would say this for military dads. Listen, you're doing a great job. You know, it's the life that you chose is, is very difficult. You know, um, your job isn't who you are. It's just something that you do. You know, who you are should be a father and a dad for your kids because that's really what matters in life. You know, the people that are on their deathbeds, you don't regret, you know, not working more or spending more time at work. They regret not spending more time with their family because that's what it's all about, like your family, your tribe, you know. Um, I'll tell military dads, listen, you know, your kids are going to respect you if you respect them. You know, they're going to be patriotic if you show them patriotism. Um, uh, I guess I'd leave it at that. I like that. It's simple and it reminds us all that the most important thing we have is family and everything else is secondary. I couldn't agree more. Well, Jason, where, if people want to connect with you, where, where's the best place to connect with you? So, you know, I, I've started to kind of get a robust following on LinkedIn. And so Jason Van Camp is my LinkedIn profile. Check it out. Uh, I do a lot of 
videos um, as it pertains to my for-profit business, Mission Six Zero. We've got a book coming out, Deliberate Discomfort, How U.S. Special Operations Forces Overcome Fear and Dare to Win by Getting Comfortable Being Uncomfortable. Uh, it'll be out on Amazon right now. It's out on Amazon right now and other places where books are sold. Um, I'll be sure to include that in our show notes if the listeners want to grab a copy. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We're really excited about that book. Very proud of it. Uh, it's got some unbelievable uh, lessons and experiences in there. Uh, 12 military veterans on my team, Medal of Honor recipients, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, Rangers, uh, Marines, and then scientists translate translate those lessons into digestible uh, practical applications for you, uh, the reader, to, um, to use to improve your professional and personal lives. And uh, my other entity is a nonprofit called Warrior Rising, and we help veterans and their immediate family members in the most charitable way we know how, and that's helping them help themselves. And we do that by helping them start sustainable businesses. So if you want to start a business and you're a veteran or an immediate family member of a veteran, come to us. We'll give you the education, the mentorship, financial assistance opportunities, and then have you join our community. And uh, we're doing great. We're helping 40 veterans start businesses every single week. You know, um, things are going really, really well. Uh, Warrior Rising, and we hope that continues in 2020. Uh, you can find more about Warrior Rising at warriorrising.org or mission60 at mission60.com. And that's what I got going on, man. Thanks for allowing me the opportunity to articulate that. You're welcome because you're you you have value and behind a dad that you 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 uh you bring something to the veteran community that we can all learn more from. You're doing great stuff, man. I keep it up. And if you ever need me for anything, let me know. I'm proud of you. Um, you're doing a great thing for the military dads in, in our community, and um, and uh, I wish you the best. Thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.